begin this time with a word of prayer. Father, I do believe in the Holy Spirit. Father, I am more than ever in am in desperate need of the Holy Spirit to come and to speak and to work through me and to speak and to work through your word. Father, I am at a loss for words. So, Father, I pray that you would make us dependent completely and utterly upon your word. Father, your word has answers. Uh, your word has truth. Your word has life. Lord, I ask and pray that we would find uh, those things in your word here in these next few minutes. Father, you say that you are with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Father, we are literally in the valley of the shadow of death. Father, you tell us that you are the God of all comfort. Father, we need you to be the God of all comfort here, right now, in this time. Father, I need you to guide and speak and to work through my words in a way that sometimes I feel like I don't need you to do because I'm prepared and I've got it all together. I'm ready and I know what I'm doing. Father, I need you this morning. Father, I need you to work through us. Comfort your people with your word this morning. Help us to understand death from your perspective. Help us to understand how such a thing, as horrible as death, can be called and counted as precious your sight. Guide us with your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How, why is the death of Mrs. Gisela Charles called precious in God's word? Let's start in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, page 980, if you would like to turn there. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 19 through 23. Page 980. This is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. This is the letter of joy. This is the letter that we're going to look at next, I think, after um, Genesis. So we want to know what's he talking about here? Why is the death of Mrs. Charles precious? Well, according to Philippians chapter 1, in part it is precious because in Christ to die is gain. The death of Mrs. Charles is precious because in Christ, to die is gain. Let me read for you from Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Picking up at the end of verse 18, there you see it at the top of the page, Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. <clears throat> so first off, we see that the death of Mrs. Charles is precious because in Christ to die is gain. Again, when we experience this, and there's the mourning, and there's the loss, and there's the prayer, we want to be reminded that we are not praying for Mrs. Charles, and we are not sad about what has happened to Mrs. Charles. We are praying for us and her family, and we are sad about what has happened to us 
and to our family, because according to her family, because according to here, according to Paul, to die is gain. According to God's word, what has happened this morning, from Mrs. Charles's perspective, is gain. Why? The next verse, verse 20, uh, 22. Because to depart is to be with Christ, and to be with Christ is far so, sometimes we do not have a particularly biblical perspective of death, because I confess that I think that I would struggle to preach here and confess honestly what Paul is saying. If you asked me right now, it would be hard for me to say that right now I would like to depart, because to depart means to be with Christ. But here is Paul saying such things. I would choose to depart, because that means that I'm with Christ, and to be with Christ is so first off, it's precious because to be with Christ is gain. But that still needs some clarification. Again, how, how can death be gain? How actually does death move us from here to the presence of Christ? Well, that's because of point number two. How, why is the death of Mrs. Charles precious? It is precious because Christ is the resurrection and Life. Let's turn to John chapter 11. You can find John chapter 11 on page 897. The death of Mrs. Gisela Charles is precious in God's sight because Christ is the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, page 897, if you're not familiar with the story, you'll see the heading there above the beginning of the chapter. There above the 11, we'll see that this whole chapter is couched in the context is death. This is the death of Lazarus. And Lazarus, we hear, was a dear friend of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved him. The news comes to Jesus from his sisters, Mary, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. The one whom you love is sick. Come, come help him. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus can do. And so they call him and they invite him to come help, save, heal our brother. But Jesus waits. The strangest thing that Jesus does, there's sickness and there's imminent death. And we read that Jesus waits to come. Look at verse 5 in verse 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He lets the death come. He, he waits. He does not intervene before the death of Lazarus. Here is God sovereignly working. Here is God sovereignly doing something bigger than the death of one man. And that big thing we know is the coming resurrection of Lazarus. So look over at verse 17 in John chapter 11. Two days later, Jesus comes and says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So here, death has happened. It's not just abstract death at a distance. We, we're, we're so numb uh, to death. It's, so, it's a nightly occurrence on the news. It's always distance. It's far, and we get numb to it. Here is close and personal up front death. Here is a loved one. Here is the brother of two sisters that Jesus loved. Here we are experiencing not death at a distance, not death abstracted from us, but death up close and personal. Death of one of our own. Death of a loved one. That's the context for Jesus' words. Right? These are not empty, light words. He is speaking these truths as the God of all comfort into the midst of the pain and the loss of this dear brother. And so he speaks to Martha. She says, we know he wouldn't have died if you had gone. She's, she's questioning. She's asking, why, why weren't you here? What's going on? Verse 22, she says she knows that whatever God he asks, God will give him. Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. 24, Martha doesn't completely understand what it is that Jesus is saying there. She has heard Jesus' teaching. She believes in the resurrection of the dead in the last days when, when Christ returns. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And he corrects her in verse 25. Here's where you go if you have to, on the last minute, uh, do a funeral or to address death or to comfort a loved one who has lost someone in Christ. Verse 25. Here's who Jesus is. I am. Remember, that's, that's Yahweh in the Old Testament. I am. That is a confession of, of deity. I, I am God. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wait a second. Miss Roberta, I was just talking about this like last week, trying to figure out this verse. Look at verse 25. This is confusing. It says, if you believe in me, though you die, you shall live. Right? So even when you, if you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. And the next part says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Which is it? Is it? The, is it the one or the other? Is it that um, you, though he die, you will die, but you'll live, or it's you'll never die? Well, it's both. Because what is Christ talking about? He's talking about the two deaths. There is not one death, but there are two deaths. As the old saying um, goes, if you're born once, you die twice, but if you're born twice, you only die once. Well, because he's drawing a distinction here between physical death and spiritual death. Physical death and spiritual death. So, in verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, physical death, yet shall he live, spiritual death, verse 26, and whoever lives, spiritual life, though he die, physical death, yet shall he live, spiritual life. If there is spiritual life, if there is rebirth, this is just a few chapters.
chapters after John chapter 3, you must be born again. Nicodemus, what do you mean? I'm just to re-enter into my mother's womb. How can I be born a second time? Spiritual birth. New life. Completely and utterly transforms physical death. And saves us and spares us from the spiritual death that is yet to come. Which is the eternal death. That's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing a distinction between these two things. And he's saying the thing that rescues you and the things that spares you from this spiritual death and the thing that utterly transforms this physical death into something horrible and awful and the great enemy into something that Psalm 116 says is precious in God's sight. The only thing that makes that transformation and that difference is Jesus Christ. He says, whoever believes me. Guys, if you think back to the last five weeks, we have spent five weeks in Genesis chapter 3, and it has just been sin and sin and sin. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, and it's all good, and it's abundant, and it's beautiful, and the climax of creation is the creation of the man and the woman, and God gives them each other, and God gives them everything, and God blesses them, and he says one thing, Here's everything. Here's one thing. Don't eat of this tree. Why? Because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's the end of chapter 2. And as we've seen in great detail right away in chapter 3, there's the serpent, and there's temptation, and there's the twisting of God's word, and there's the doubting of God's word, and Eve is deceived, and she takes Remember, we've looked in great detail at the consequences of sin. End of chapter 2, they were naked and they were unashamed. Chapter 3, verse 7, and their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they covered themselves and they hid and they blamed and they were separated from God. The wages of sin is death. The day you eat of this, you will surely die. They eat. There's the shame. They have died. They're physically still alive, but there has been spiritual death, which is separation from God. Separation from God. The wages of sin is death. So, if that's true, and it is, you've experienced it, I've experienced it, we are sinners. Uh, our sin separates us um, from the good God who created us and made us to know Him and to love Him and to be with Him. If that sin separates us from Him, then how can point two be true? How can Christ then be the resurrection and the life if every single one of us has freely um, chosen death in our sin? How can this apply to us? It's because of point Number three. Why is the death of Mrs. Charles precious? The death of Mrs. Charles is precious because Christ came to defeat death through death. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 18, page 1002. Uh, BJ preached masterfully on this a while back. I wish I had it in front of me so I could read it for you um, right now, uh, but I don't. Uh, this is a really important passage. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 through 18, page 1002. Here's how. Here's how, even in the face of sin, even in the face of the entrance in, of death and sin and evil and wickedness into the world, even in the face of our separation 
from God. Here is how Christ is resurrection and life. Here is how death can all of a sudden become something that is actually good and precious in God's sight. Hebrews chapter 2. This, this is the gospel. It's here. I want you to see. See if we can draw it out. Let me read for you um, in verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, talking about Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Look at that verse. Oh, there's so much there. Look at verse 14. Right, why does Christ come? Why the Christmas is coming up? Right, why, why veiled in flesh the Godhead see? Why does he have to become a man? Why is he born as a baby? Verse 14. Since we, the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood. We are flesh and blood. Genesis 3. We sin in our flesh and blood. We are man, and it is mankind that is separated from God. It is mankind that owes a death debt for our sin. So it must be mankind that pays that death debt. To represent us, Christ had to be us. To pay the debt for the sin of sinful Matt, the man, to pay the debt of a sinful woman, this is Gisela Charles, Christ had to become flesh. He had to become a man. He assumes everything that we are, except for our sin, to deal with that sin. So he has to become flesh to deal with our sin, and it explains it in the second half of verse 14. Why did he do it? Why did he take on this flesh? That through death, through his death, or through the death of that flesh, God cannot die. Let's get that clear. God can't die. So, if the wages of sin is death, and if man has to pay that debt, and if the debt's too big for man to pay, then only God can pay it, but God can't pay it because he's God, and God can't die. What has to happen? God has to become a man. God takes on flesh, infinitely valuable in his transcendence and his majesty and his glory, becoming one of us in the smallness and the eminence and the weakness that is our flesh. He takes that on so that he can represent us, so that he can take on that sin, and says there, through his death he might then destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. That's why he comes as he dies. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So often the good news is, hey, you're not that good of a person. You've kind of messed up. So, hey, you kind of need to clean up your life, and you should kind of put your hope in Jesus, and he'll help you out a little bit. Um, clean up your act. Be a good person. Jesus will help you out a little bit, and then you'll be good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you're dead. That's how it starts. The wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2, the best 
is starts off with, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Death is your problem. While alive, we carry around death within us, that spiritual death. Christ comes, the good news of the gospel is that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ comes to die for us, so we commit this sin, we rebel, we reject against the good God who has created us, that separates us from Him, He is holy, and He is righteous, and He is good, so He must do something about that sin, something has to be done about that sin, or He would not be just, so... Amazing thing that we still barely even begin to understand. As we saw, even in Genesis chapter 3, God starts to hint and to promise about what it is that He is going to do. He promises that He is going to send a seed, He is going to send a son, He is going to send Jesus Christ, who is God Himself, come in the flesh for the purpose of not giving us a good example, for the purpose of not being a good moral teacher and showing us the way to go, but for coming and being the way to go, who comes and says, I am the life, and who comes to be that life for us by dying for us. That's the gospel, is that you sin, and you deserve death for your sin. God sends his son Jesus Christ to come and to take your place, to substitute himself into your place, to take on your sin and all the penalties and punishments that that sin deserves, which is death, and to die that death for you. So you see that? He takes your death. And there is no double jeopardy, because God is just. Right? If the payment of your death has already been paid in Christ, then God no longer has the right. God cannot demand that payment from you. So the death of Mrs. Charles is precious in God's sight, because Jesus Christ has already come and died. Mrs. Charles's sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ has died for that sin. And we see the effects of that there in Hebrews chapter 2. It said he destroys the one who has the power of death. And if you look there in verse 15, I love this verse. Do we believe this verse? What are the effects? What are the consequences? Um, of that, it delivers us from the fear of death, who had been subject to lifelong slavery. The death of Jesus Christ delivers us from the, dear, the fear of death, because the sting of death has been removed. Death is so horrible, because death separates us from God. That's why death is bad. Christ came to be, in a sense, separated from God for us, so that we could be reconciled to God because he has paid our penalty for us. The death of Mrs. Charles is precious in God's sight because her death has been transformed from loss to gain because Jesus Christ has already gotten the loss so that she can get the gain. He is the resurrection and the life because he takes on our sin and because he takes on our death. That's how to die is Number four, why is the death of Mrs. Charles precious? It's precious because in Christ we have hope 
Remember, biblical hope is not just, oh man, I hope this happens. No, we have hope, which we have confident expectation that she will return and that we will see her again. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, page 987. First Thessalonians 4, I'll read for you verses 13 through 18, 9, 8, 7, in the Pew Bible. Uh, this is uh, about 20 years after Christ has died and risen again and ascended to be with God. It seems like there's starting to be some questions. What about death? What happens to those who have already died before Christ returns? And they're trying to wrestle with that and deal with that. So Paul writes, in part, to address and answer... What happens to and what do we do with the death of those who pass before Christ returns? Well, here's the answer. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, this is a time of potential, this is a time of grief, and that's good, and sadness, and that's good, and mourning, that's good. This is actually a time that's not supposed to be for discouragement, but it's a time that has the great risk to be discouraging. The heed of Paul's closing word in there, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your job right now is to encourage one another with these words. Your job is to encourage Mr. Charles with these words, and Nora and the family of Mrs. Charles with these words. And what are those words? We're talking about those who are asleep, a uh, euphemism um, for death. And the good news is, we know, verse 14, there's the gospel, Jesus died and rose again. So even though, that's not just for him, that's for us as well, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Christ came once, and Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he doesn't come alone. According to this, he comes with a whole lot of people. And according to this, he comes with Mrs. Charles. She returns. Listen, biblically, eschatology, the end is not, hey man, let's get out of here. This place is terrible. Well, let's get away. No, the end is Christ is returning here. And he's coming back. And he's coming victorious over death, victorious over the devil. And he's coming with all of those people for whom he has died and redeemed and saved, including Mrs. Charles. So he says there in verse 13, we grieve. We grieve. It's good to grieve. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because here's the hope. It's the life in Christ. It's the promised return. It's that we will see Mrs. Charles again. And that's great. But we will see her with Christ. And that's, that's the great 
thank you. The end of verse 17. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Remember chapter 3 of Genesis, everything goes wrong. They are banished from the garden. They are separated from God. Here we have, in this verse, the reunion, the reconciliation for all eternity. So we will always be with the Lord. That's our hope. And that's our hope in a time such as this. That she is now with the Lord, that we will see her again when, the, when Christ returns, and that yet then we will always be with the Lord, our Savior, who has redeemed us from death and hell. And that gives us our fifth and final point. Why is the death of Mrs. Charles precious? Number five, because in Christ all things are and will be made new including Mrs. Charles. Turn to Revelation 21, page 1041. Very end of the Bible, the end of the message, page 1041. Here's that hope. Here's what's coming. Mrs. Charles was a harder worker than you. Mrs. Charles was a harder worker than me. Mrs. Charles carried trash bags that were larger than her. Uh, she was not a large woman, um, but she was a strong woman. Mrs. Charles was not a healthy woman for the entirety of the time that I knew her. Uh, Mrs. Charles was frail. Uh, Mrs. Charles spent a lot of time in hospitals and doctors and sicknesses and broken feet and, and all kinds of uh, things that she has wrestled with and struggled with, much pain and much, much physical suffering. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. This is the end. This is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here it is. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these words are trustworthy and true. Find your comfort and your hope in these words. God is in the process of making all things new. Mrs. Charles has taken a step in that direction that most of us can, that none of us can even begin um, to imagine. But also get this, she's not yet completely new. Because 1 Corinthians 15, the return of Christ, the resurrection of body, her small, frail, weak, broken body, restored, strengthened, glorified, made new in Christ. Right? So the preciousness of this physical death is that it transitions her into the presence of our Lord.
Lord, which then it's ready to transition her into the redemption of her body upon the return of Christ when all things are made new. That makes this precious. And that gives us cause to hope, and dare I even say rejoice and find joy even in the midst of very difficult circumstances and the difficult, uh, difficulty of loss and of death. We see that Christ comes to defeat that enemy, to redeem us from that death, to restore us to a position of life, and Mrs. Charles is experiencing that right now in a way that we cannot even imagine. There is hope even in the midst of death. Precious is the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his sins. Precious. Why do we believe that? Or do we not? And again, let me take, let me finish with this. Mrs. Charles loved the Lord. Mrs. Charles loved the gospel. Uh, she loved the gospel going forth in song and word and various things. So I would not be doing my job as her friend and as her pastor if I wasn't clear here on this opportunity, this time where we remember her, we honor her, and we look at God's word uh, to be encouraged uh, about what has happened. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to say, I saw her last night. EJ talked to her last night. She's not here this morning. She was fine uh, last night. Uh, I, I have been wrestling a little bit. Last night I um, got back. I ran out. I ran out to get cookies. I love cookies. I get cookies for my wife. I was ministering to my family. I'm getting cookies for myself. I'm getting cookies for myself. Um, so I drove out, got the cookies. I got back uh, about 9.15. I think uh, Nicole was in our driveway, so I couldn't pull into the driveway. So I pulled in uh, to the Catholic lot across the street. Don't tell them that. Uh, sometimes use that a lot. Um, it was temporary. So I pulled in uh, to the Catholic lot, parked the car. I'm going to go inside until uh, Nicole's car is out and I can switch it. Um, so as I'm getting out of my car, um, walking, you know, we're right here, standing there, there's a big entryway into it, and walking across uh, that driveway, there goes Mrs. Charles. If you've ever watched them walk, uh, she's often about 10 feet in front of Mr. Charles. I think she has, she's, she's pulling him along, uh, she's caring for him, she's encouraging him, she's the driving force there. That woman loved her husband and cared for her husband, so she's 10 feet ahead. And there goes Mr. Charles while I'm in the back of the lot, and I call out to him, Mr. Charles! He doesn't have great ears. Uh, he didn't hear me. He kept walking, uh, and I didn't chase him down. <laughs> uh, the last time I saw him, uh, didn't get to talk to him. Uh, he got to talk to her last night. Again, she was plugging along and walking at 20 miles an hour. She looked healthy and good. I said, there goes Mr. Charles. I will see her tomorrow. Nope. God's sovereignty, he took this as Charles last night. So, sounds cliche. Sounds hellfiery and brimstone It sounds super fundamentalist. Um, tomorrow is not guaranteed. It's not. It's not. We don't believe that. This is an opportunity for you to believe that because we're seeing it. And I just saw it. And I just experienced it. I got that call, my first thought was him. Didn't go there. So, brothers and sisters, it's not, it's not guaranteed. Death is a real thing. Uh, death is an enemy. She was healthy. She wasn't young, but she was healthy. So, these aren't games. 
that we're playing. I sit here and I preach and I proclaim the gospel, and sometimes I, as I, I want to prepare a really good message. And I was convicted last night that I was excited about coming in with a really good message. And my first thought was, I'm going to impress you guys with this message. And I'm going to show you how great this message is. Listen, I know that I preach the gospel for God's glory. And I know that I preach it to try um, to save sinners. But so much, because I am such a sinner, so much of my desire is to show you how great I am by how good of a message that I can preach and proclaim. And that just kind of hit me last night. God was kind of putting a finger on my heart and saying, man, you're a prideful, arrogant jerk. Um, and I am. And I am. Um, this is humbling. It's not about me. It's not about, can I preach a really good message and impress you guys? Guys, I'm a dying man preaching to dying men and women. I don't think we believe that. I don't think I believe that. I believe it a little bit more <clears throat> um, right now. Um, death is real. And death is terrible. Death is transformed in Christ. But let me be clear. Death apart from Christ is not transformed. And it remains the enemy. And it remains death. And if we are going to do anything that resembles believing what God's word says, it says that there is such a place as hell and eternal separation from God, which is suffering and which is damnation and which is something that biblical language can't even describe because it's so horrible. That exists. We either believe this or not. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So listen, you are in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ. Or you do not know that you know Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to take heed and to be warned. I saw her last night and she was fine. And she is not here today. Death is real. And it's an enemy. And it's terrible. And your only hope, the only hope for any of us, is Jesus Christ who comes and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That sounds awesome. Listen to the first part of the next part. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father. That's hell. You cannot get to God apart from Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Because the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ is the only one who has come to die and to pay your wage for you. You die apart from Christ. You die eternally apart from God. And it is a horrible, it's so horrible that we in the church today in America have kind of just shoved it under the rug because we're kind of embarrassed about it. And we kind of don't really want to talk about it. But I think today that we have to. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ is your only hope. And Jesus Christ was Mrs. Charles's only hope. And Mrs. Charles was very different than me. Um, she was born in 1935. 1935 in Venezuela. I was born in 1984 in Dallas, Texas. We had a lot of differences. She's a good and godly woman who loved the church, who loved the Savior, who loved Jesus Christ. Her death is precious in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. Your death can be precious in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, your death is, is justice. And it is judgment and it is separation. So hear the word, heed the word, heed this gracious warning that we have been given by God on this morning. That there are bigger things going on than food and flags, footballs this afternoon, um, you got stuff going on. There's all kinds of things that we care more about. 
None of those things are bad. Those things aren't wrong. Uh, but this is a good reminder that there are bigger things happening. And Jesus Christ is the answer um, to those things. So, I'm going to pray. I'm going to close and stop talking. Um, we'll invite the music team up. We'll close with a final song. We'll be done. I'll come back up. I'll give you a few instructions. I'll encourage you again. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I again pray that it would be your word that would be heard and not mine. Father, you know that there's great power that is contained in your word, and so I pray that your power, your word, would, would do that work in our hearts in the various ways we need it done for us here in this room. Father, there are people in this room that desperately need your word to be a word of comfort and a word of hope. Father, I ask that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray um, that you would help us to see death from your perspective, both its um, nature as our enemy, but both the way that it's especially transformed for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can have life because we got death. Thank you that there is hope um, and there is uh, acceptance and reconciliation because he got um, separation. Father, take that word that we have heard from various places this morning, and Father, minister it uh, to our hearts and minds as comfort. Father, there are people in this room who also need your word as warning, and as conviction, and as reminder. There is such a thing as death, that it is horrible, that it separates us from you, and it is a consequence of sin. So, Father, can I ask that it wouldn't be me, it wouldn't be, I pray, any attempt to manipulate or, or to plug or to play on emotions improperly. Father, I pray that you would take your word and take the reality of what it is that we're dealing with here this morning and remind us that life is bigger than we think it is, that you are real, and that you are good, and that you sent your Son Jesus Christ for us. Father, open eyes. Oh, we believe that salvation comes not from something that we do, but from something that you do for us and in us and through us. And so, Father, I ask for you to do that in this time for anyone who does not know Jesus Christ and now knows that they do not know Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would bring them from death to life. I pray that you would bring them a conviction of sin, repentance from that sin, and give them faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Father, use this. You know what's going on every heart and mind. So I pray that you would take and you would use your way, word and apply it in a way that I can. Father, I thank you for the life of Gisela Jones. Thank you for many years of service to this church. Thank you for all that you have done through us. We have experienced great loss. She has experienced great gain. Uh, we ask that you to do your work 